0: Hey, Grace Chapel, I'm Tim Galley. I'm the pastor of Group Life here. And I'm here to answer some questions that people have actually Googled. Question number one. Aren't we better off without Facebook? Yeah, we probably are better off without Facebook. And considering that humans have been on this planet for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, and only the last 10 or so have we had Facebook, yeah, we probably are better off. Next one. Aren't we better off without you? So my approach to this was to be really sarcastic, but this feels like a sincere question. So sincerely, I wanna tell you that we are not better off without you. You are needed, you are loved, you are blessed, and we love you. So we need you. Aren't we better off without Tom Brady? Despite what you may have heard, not everybody's actually needed. That's <laughs> no, I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. Um, I'm a Giants fan, so Tom Brady doesn't really threaten my Super Bowl championship status type of thing. But I mean, he's really important to New England sports. I mean, he's he's given you how many Super Bowl championships? Six? and you're wondering if you're better off without him? Oh, I'll leave that that up to you. Aren't we better off without hair? I feel like I'm being set up by balding people who are using Facebook who love Tom Brady. I, I, I don't know, aren't we better off without hair? I mean, the truth is you don't need hair for survival. It's nice to have. There's plenty of people who are successful with that without any hair. Like like Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. No hair. And other examples like um uh Oh, 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 like, like the guy who played for the Chicago Bulls, the, the number 23 fellow. No hair. I can list many, many more, but I'm just going to keep moving on for the sake of time here. Next question, aren't we better off without religion? Oh. Oh, that's that's a great question. I mean, normally, we would like to kick, kick this back to our brilliant and wonderful senior pastor to give us some perspective and wisdom on this question. But if you don't mind, I'd like to take a stab at this. I mean, religion. It depends what we mean by religion. I mean, back in the 1800s.
1: It seems like we're finally getting the hang of this video intro to this series, but anyway... Hey, one of my favorite things in the world to do is to go for a run in New York's Central Park. Whenever I'm in town, I try to find a way to do that. Those meandering pathways through centuries-old trees and shrubs, the, the silver skyscrapers surrounding that green space and the many fascinating humans of New York you bump into along the way. I just love it. And whenever I do, I inevitably find my way around to a section on the west side of the park known as Strawberry Fields. And there, set into the sidewalk, is a memorial to John Lennon, the legendary singer-songwriter of the Beatles. And it bears the one-word title of one of his most memorable songs, a song in which he asks us to imagine a different kind of world, a world with no heaven or hell, with no possessions or countries, with nothing to kill or die for, and no religion would that be a better kind of world, a world without religion? It's a question that a lot of people are asking these days. Not just asking, but actually declaring it to be so. The outspoken atheist Christopher Hitchens put it most bluntly, perhaps, in the subtitle of his best-selling book, How Religion Poisons Everything. Now Hitchens and his camp argue that most of the world's evil has been caused by or exacerbated by religion in all of its forms. A blogger puts it this way, What has religion got to offer but war, intolerance, hatred of other religions and minority groups, and poverty? Religion should not only be banned from classrooms, but from the whole planet. Religious people, the argument goes, are narrow-minded, weak-willed, emotionally crippled, sexually repressed, and not much fun at parties. (laughs) Now, the case is not without merit. An awful lot of wars have been fought over religious differences and religious rivalries. Religion has been used to prop up racism, slavery, discrimination, and all kinds of socially repressive systems. Religious leaders and institutions have abused their authority in in the worst kinds of ways. And and we all know religious people of every stripe who are self-righteous, mean-spirited, hypocritical, and not much fun at parties. And Christianity is no exception. Natasha Moore is a believer and, uh, and a researcher at the Center for Public Christianity. And in an editorial recently in the publication Christianity Today, she writes, Christians have, after all, tortured heretics, burned witches, hoarded wealth, propped up slavery, rubber-stamped colonialism, expelled or massacred entire Jewish communities, silenced women, persecuted gay people, and moved known child molesters from parish to parish. These are not accusations. They are history. So we really can't blame people for Googling that question. Aren't we better off without religion? But before we rush to answer it, before we rush to defend ourselves and our faith, we would do well to remind ourselves that even God is not always a fan of religion. In Isaiah chapter 1, God speaks through the prophet about the religious life of his people. He says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to meet with me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. I cannot stand your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Yikes. He's talking about us, friends, or at least people like us, religious people doing religious stuff. And it sounds as though he wants nothing to do with the whole thing. We get a similar vibe when we get to Jesus in the New Testament. His his harshest words, his most resounding denunciations were directed at Christian people, religious people, rather whitewashed tombs, he called them, blind guides, wolves in sheep's clothing. The one time Jesus got visibly angry, it happened in church, in the courtyard of the temple. One of our favorite passages of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, is basically an indictment of the religious system of the day. You have heard it said, Jesus said, but I say to you, and he turns the tables on the whole thing. As he comes to the end, he he warns us. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles and do all kinds of religious stuff? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Again, he's talking to the most religious people of the day. People a lot like you and me. So it's not just militant atheists and midnight Googlers who are asking if we'd be better off without religion, who have a problem with religion. God sometimes has a problem with it too. And truth be told, so do we sometimes. We're all sometimes embarrassed by the behavior, the words of religious people, even Christian people. We're all uncomfortable with certain aspects of the church's history. We get angry and frustrated sometimes when people who claim to be followers of Christ act in hurtful and awful ways or say ridiculous things. I've heard from too many people lately who are thinking about walking away from church because they're not sure they want to be part of it anymore. Because of how Christian people are living and acting and speaking. So, what's the problem with religion? And how do we respond to those who say we'd be better off without it? Let's begin by defining religion so we know what it is we're talking about. One dictionary puts it this way Religion is an organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, and rules used to worship a God or group of gods. Another has it this way. The belief in and worship of a superhuman being or a power. So religion is more than faith. It's more than belief. Religion begins with belief, begins with faith in something, but then it adds to that belief rituals and regulations and systems and structures and some kind of organization. And while we're at it, we should point out that religion religion is, contrary to popular opinion, on the rise in the world today. Let's just survey the landscape for a minute. Christianity is the largest of all religions in the world, about 32%, and growing, particularly in the global south and in, uh, in East and South Asia. Islam is next at about 24%. And it is the fastest growing religion primarily because of birth rates. Hinduism accounts for about 15% of the population, mostly in India and South Asia. Buddhism is at about 7% and not increasing. Folk and tribal religions are at about 7%. Judaism, while influential, is a fraction of 1%, along with all the other, a whole lot of other religions. And then atheists or nuns represent about 15% of the population. But that number is expected to decrease in the decades to come. So in spite of the secularizing trend we hear about in much of the media today, once you step outside of white Western European culture, religion is on the rise just about everywhere. So religion shows no sign of going away. In fact, with numbers like this, it's hard to imagine this world that John Lennon is describing without religion. So why is that? Why is religion so pervasive and so resilient? Well, a few reasons come to mind. For one thing, remember that religion is not ultimately about rules and rituals and systems and structures. Religion is about the human need and longing for meaning and purpose, and forgiveness, and belonging, and redemption. It's about the longing for love, and joy, and peace, and strength, not to mention hope for the life to come. And throughout history, and across all people groups, religion has been the primary source for those things for the majority of the world's population. So before we start wondering how much better off we'd be without religion... We'd better ask ourselves if we'd be better off without meaning and purpose and belonging and a basis for forgiveness and love and joy and hope and strength and all the other things that go along with religion, like potluck dinners. <laughs> Every scientific study that's ever been done on the effects of religion on human beings has established again and again that religious people are healthier, happier, more productive, more stable, longer living, and more sexually satisfied than the general population. We should put that on our website, right? Just <laughs> get it out there. And we haven't begun to mention all the, the positive impact that religious movements have had on the wider world in terms of art, education, science, medicine, relief work, and philanthropy. And let's also not forget that there have been more than a few attempts to wipe out religion in our world. Take the Soviet Union in the early part of the 20th century, went to extreme measures to rid their society of religion, including the use of of imprisonment and torture and, and violence on a massive scale. Were Soviet bloc countries better off for having rid themselves of religion? Was their society more stable, more just, more compassionate, more beautiful? Or were the Soviet people happier for having shed themselves of religion? Or consider the, uh, the religion-free regime of Pol Pot in Cambodia in the 1970s considered by most people to be the most barbaric and murderous regime in human history. So maybe we should think again before we start imagining how much better off the world would be without religion. Maybe the problem isn't really religion. Maybe it's bad religion. Let's think about it in, a, in another context. Let's ask this question. Aren't we better off without drugs? I mean, think about all the pain and heartache that drugs have caused for people and our culture. The opioid crisis, mass incarceration, drug cartels, street crime. How many lives and communities and and families have been ruined because of these substitutes, these uh, substances, rather? It would be pretty easy to make a case that we'd be better off without drugs wait a minute, what about ibuprofen and acetaminophen and all the stuff we all took this past week to relieve ourselves of aches and pains? What about penicillin and erythromycin? How many parents of ear-infected kids think the world would be better off without amoxicillin? How about insulin and chemotherapy? Antiretrovirals and immunotherapy drugs? Drugs save and improve the lives of billions of people every day. The problem isn't drugs. The problem is bad drugs. Some drugs are inherently bad, like crack cocaine, which has virtually no medicinal value but causes almost immediate addiction. That's a bad drug. Most drugs are good unless they're used badly or for the wrong purposes like OxyContin, which can get you through back surgery when used properly, but can kill you when it's used badly. So drugs aren't the problem, bad drugs are the problem. And similarly, the problem isn't religion, the problem is bad religion. And some religions are just plain bad. Now if that sounds judgmental, just think about it for a minute. Anybody remember Jonestown, the People's Temple back in the 1970s? A religious system that led to the murder of a U.S. congressman and some journalists and the mass suicide of nearly a thousand people. I think we'd agree that's bad religion. How about some forms of Satan worship that promote? Call for for animal and even human sacrifice. How about forms of witchcraft and voodoo that invoke curses and harms on people? Some religions, like crack cocaine, are just plain bad. Most of the time, religion becomes bad when it's used in the wrong ways or for the wrong purpose. When it's used to vilify other religions or, or people who don't believe when it's used to control people or to oppress people. Religion is bad when religious leaders abuse their authority and role. Religion is bad when religious adherents become mean-spirited and hypocritical and judgmental. Religion is bad when it becomes extreme. Radical fundamentalism, extremism, is bad religion. It's Hindu extremists who are burning down churches in India. It's Muslim extremists who are fomenting terror in the world. It's Christian extremists who carry signs saying God hates gays. This is bad religion. It's an abuse of the religion that they claim to adhere to. So yes, we'd be better off without bad religion and what does good religion look like? I must think about it in our own context. How do we know that that God is happy with our religion, with our worship services, with our assemblies, with our offerings? I mean, God must have had, had something in mind when he instituted this whole thing. I mean, after all, it was God's idea that Abel and Cain should bring a sacrifice. It was God who gave a moral code to Moses to pass on to the people and the world. It was God who told Solomon to build a temple to represent his presence. So what does God have in mind when he comes to religion? Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1 and continue in his critique of religion. We'll pick it up in verse 17. After critiquing bad religion, he says, stop doing wrong, learn to do right. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. We read a similar thing when we go to the New Testament. A Jesus follower named James writes this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Good religion isn't just good for the people who practice it. It's good for the world. It's good even for people who don't believe it or who practice other religions. Good religion has a positive, redemptive impact on the world, and in particular, on the needy and the most vulnerable. And most religions this. When properly understood and practiced, most religions promote good in the lives of their people and in the wider, wider world. We've already seen that, that most religions point people towards healthier, happier, more productive lives, and also more generous and compassionate lives. Islam teaches people to pray five times a day, not a bad thing, and, and to give alms to the poor. The Eightfold Path of Buddhism, Teaches people, among other things, to to behave rightly, to to work rightly, to to speak rightly. Native American religions teach people to, to revere the earth and to live in harmony with it and with its creatures. And so on an individual basis, adherents of religions like this generally leave lead happier, healthier, more productive, and more compassionate lives. And when it comes to societal and global impact, it is religious, faith-based organizations that, for the most part, are, are the strongest drivers and initiators and funders and organizers and implementers of care and compassion and relief and relief efforts all around the world. The Salvation Army the Jewish Relief Fund, the Red Cross, World Vision. These faith-founded initiatives are among the most active and productive and impactful relief organizations on the planet. Nicholas Christoph is the award-winning journalist and uh, human rights activist. He is not a person of faith, but he has said publicly many times over and over again, that it is evangelical christians and their agencies who are doing the most good in the world when disaster strikes when need is apparent it is christian people who are the first to arrive the last to leave and the most likely to put themselves at risk that's good for the world and we should remind ourselves as we had have had have on other occasions that christianity practically invented the university in Europe and here in our own country. It was Christian people who founded the first hospitals and orphanages and relief agencies. It was religious belief and primarily Christian belief that inspired some of the finest work of art, music, literature that the world has ever seen. Tom Holland is a popular, highly regarded historian, journalist, and longtime critic of, of, of religion and of Christianity in particular. But in recent years, he's come out publicly and, and acknowledged that, that he was wrong in many of his views about Christianity. His research into ancient Greek and Roman society reveals just how revolutionary, how formative Christianity was in reshaping the world around human rights and human dignities. The, the, the basis for morality, the basis for democracy springs from the, the Judeo-Christian heritage that has shaped contemporary civilization. So all this to say the problem isn't really religion. The problem is bad religion. Good religion has been and continues to be a force for good in the world today, in the lives of people and in the wider world. And so the plain truth is A world with no religion, too, would be a lonely, dull, and dangerous place. Okay, everybody with me? All right. Now, does that mean all religions are basically the same? That religions are equally valid? Well, not really. I mean, if, if, if some religions are bad and some religions are good... Chances are most fall somewhere on a spectrum in between. Some are less bad, some are more good. The answer isn't to reject all of them, all religion. The answer is try to determine which one seems right and best. It's very common for people today to to say that, you know, all religious roads lead to the top of the mountain. And there's a sense in which there's, there's some truth there. We've already seen almost all religions begin with the human need for, for forgiveness and belonging and meaning and purpose. Almost all religions involve some of the same practices, prayer and worship and scripture and, and concern for the poor and moral living. And so it, it's reasonable to suggest that, that all religions seem to lead to the top of the mountain. But that begins to break down when you think about it. For one thing, every religion, pretty much every religion, believes it's, the, it's better than the other religions. That it's probably the best religion, and maybe the only true religion. Well, they can't all be best, and they can't all be true, especially because they often contradict each other. For another thing, different religions take us in different directions. A religion that worships Satan is going to look a whole lot different than a religion that worships Satan. God. A religion that defines ultimate reality in terms of impersonal cosmic energy is going to feel very different than a religion that defines ultimate reality in terms of a personal benevolent being. And For a third thing, we've seen that even good religions can go bad and can lead us to some dark and dangerous places. So while it's reasonable to say that all roads lead up the mountain, it's equally reasonable to say they all might not get you to the top. Some of them will lead you to the top of other mountains. And some of them could get you lost or in trouble along the way. So we don't have time to get into the question of comparative religions here. That's a subject for another sermon. My point is, if if you want to get up a mountain, The answer isn't to reject every road. The answer is try to determine which road is most likely to get to the top. And so that's the religious quest that every human being is on. There are all these available to us. Which one, which one does the most good? Which one seems most reasonable and logical? Which one fits the facts of history and science? Which one speaks most powerfully and helpfully to the realities of human experience? No surprise, I think, is Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) Having spent a considerable amount of time surveying the many religions, I've come to believe that the Christian faith offers the most reasonable, compelling, and satisfying response to the deep needs and longings of the human heart. That's a decision everyone has to make for themselves. You need to do your investigation and ask questions even like this one. But as you do, listen to these words of someone way smarter than me. Tyler Vanderweel is a Harvard professor and a world-renowned expert on religious participation. Having surveyed the field himself, he has come to the conclusion that Christianity provides the most reasonable and viable framework for understanding human experience and reality. And he writes this. Any educated person should at some point have critically examined the claims for Christianity and should be able to explain why he or she does or does not believe them. And if you should be interested in investigating the claims of Christianity, you've come to the right place. We have all kinds of groups and classes and alpha and ways for you to do that. So we've made a pretty good case here, I think, for the benefits of religion to human beings and to human society. We've seen how foundational and pervasive religion is and how many positive contributions it has made to life on this planet. We've suggested the problem isn't religion, the problem is bad religion. But that good religion, because that can be good for the world. That the proper response to this question isn't to reject all religion, but to try to determine which religion seems best and right to us. And so it could be we could just finish right here and say we're done with this question. But I don't know about you, but I'm still bothered by something. I'm still bothered by the checkered history of the Christian church. I'm still bothered sometimes by the words and actions of people who claim to be following Christ but aren't speaking or acting in very Christ-like ways. And I'm still haunted by those words of Isaiah in which the Lord expresses his impatience with the hypocrisy and the shallowness and the corruption of religious people like me. If you guys are religious, I'm way religious. See, in the end, the problem with religion is us. It's people like you and me. We're the ones who misuse or abuse our religious beliefs or practices or roles or authorities. We're the ones who fail sometimes to live what we believe or to practice what we preach. One author puts it this way, the reality of the situation is that human beings are capable of both violence and moral excellence. And both of these may be provoked by worldviews, religious or otherwise. All ideals, divine or human, are capable of being abused. The problem lies in human nature. Friends, sooner or later, every religion will disappoint, and every religious person will fail. That's why the ultimate answer to the human problem is not found in any religion, but in a relationship with God, the God who made us and loves us, the God who can save us and change us when we come to him just as we are. And that's where Isaiah's critique leads us. As he comes to the end, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool." Religion has to lead to a conversation with God in which we come to Him just as we are, acknowledging our brokenness and our needs and our longings, and inviting Him to meet us there. Ultimately, religion is not about rules and rituals and systems and structures. It is about our need and longing for God, for forgiveness and transformation. And that need can be met through faith in Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection make possible our forgiveness and our transformation when we turn to Him in faith. And that's where we're headed next week as we finish our series by asking the question, can we have God without Jesus. But before we leave today, let me leave you with an illustration. An illustration suggested by Natasha Moore, one of the authors I referenced earlier. Imagine with me a great piece of music, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World, The Beatles' Long and Winding Road, Just hear that beautiful music in your head. Now imagine hearing that music performed at a middle school band concert. (laughs) You're probably going to cringe a few times. They're probably going to hit some really sour notes. And no one could blame you for walking out of there thinking that the world might be better off not hearing that particular rendition (laughs) of that piece. But I don't think you want to imagine a world without the music of Beethoven or Sachmo or the Beatles. You see, Jesus sang a beautiful tune. And when his followers play it right, when we've played it in tune with him, it has been a beautiful and unique gift to the world. When we've played it poorly, It has caused untold harm. But I don't want to imagine a world without the music of Jesus. It continues to be the sweetest tune that's ever been heard and continues to echo down through the corridors of time, inviting us to play along and to build in relationship with Him a world that's better and more beautiful than we could ask or even imagine. Let's pray. Lord, we've had a lot to think about today, a lot to wrestle with throughout this series. We're grateful for the minds you've given us to think and evaluate and critique and imagine. We're grateful for the scriptures you've given to us that speak into those questions with clarity and beauty and relevance. We're grateful for the people around us and a faith community that allows us to answer and wrestle with these questions. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps each of us to hear what we need to hear. Lord, we pray that as we think on these things, you would meet each one of us where we are. That those who are seeking the right way a path to you, that they might find it. They might find it in Christ. For those of us who have been walking that path but perhaps are feeling frustrated or disillusioned, restore our confidence, Lord, in this message, in this truth, in this gospel. And Lord, for all of us, as we seek to live out this gospel in a wider world, may we do so with grace and honesty and intentionality, so that the world around is truly a better, better place because of our presence, beginning in our own homes and schools and workplaces and neighborhoods, and then to the wider world beyond. Thank you for calling us, Lord, to be that kind of a church where people discover life with you for the good of the world. May it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.